Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And we are still working through the doctrine of sin. Uh, We've already spent time looking at the Old and New Testament terms uh, that are used to speak about sin. Uh, There are many words that we've shown you that are used, but the big takeaway is that while all sin is infinitely evil before the eyes of God, that there are also gradations of sin within the heart of a person. Uh, Sometimes people sin, in other words, without even knowing it, because we're all sinners by our very nature. So we're just where we don't belong, saying things we shouldn't say. And at other times, though, there is great intentionality within the heart of a person. So sometimes a sin is described as missing the mark or falling short of God's standard. Whereas other times it's described as a stubborn or rebelliousness where there is a high-handed rejection of God. And in between is this whole spectrum to describe what's going on within the heart of a person. Um, And it's important that you keep that in your mind is that not every sin looks the same as the other sin um, or there wouldn't be this need for these different terms. Uh, So today what we're going to do is finally now begin to develop the doctrine. So uh, we want to look at the doctrine of harmatia or hermodiology, sin. Um, Again, we've only looked at the terms. So now we're going to try to synthesize everything that the Bible says about sin so we can have this full understanding of what it actually is. So we hope that um, this will begin to open up your eyes a bit more to the horror of what sin is as God shows us. Yeah. So today we'll we're just talk about some systematic theological issues and we'll begin by talking with the essence of sin. Uh you know, what is it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um so first let's start with some false definitions. Um you have people like Mary Baker Eddy out of Christian Science, which is a misnomer. It's neither Christian nor is it science. But um so she'll say sin is an illusion. Uh, just like if you remember back when we did angelology, she said angels are pleasant thoughts. Do you remember oh, that? Oh my goodness, I do remember that. Did I tell the story about accidentally walking into a Christian Science reading room? I don't think so. Oh my goodness, I was uh, I was young Christian, well, a young man Christian. I saw this Christian Science reading room, so I thought, oh. <laughs> and so I walked in, and there's this old guy, and he's obviously blind in one eye. I mean, it was obvious. It's like opaque. Yeah. And he he got up and he walks up. He goes, hi, young man. Can I help you? I'm like, yeah, I just, I don't know what this is. And he he explains to me that this is the truth behind God's word. Mm. And I'm like, okay. And then he started telling me about how sin is an illusion, just like you said. And it is, um, it's a state of mind, but it's not true. And that there is no death and there is no evil and there is no sickness. And I said, you're blind, aren't you? He's like, no. I said, so you can see out of that eye? He's like, well, no, but it's it's because I haven't yet the faith. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Deep. 
Yeah. Okay. I didn't know anything, but I knew this is not the place to yeah. be. <laughs> and so I began to do a Homer Simpson where you kind of walk backward, fade from, I'm like, get me out of this weird place. That was my first introduction to Christian science. And thankfully it was my last. So we would not say sin is an illusion. No, uh, okay, no, we're. So, so that would be that. a false definition, right? Um what would be another one? Okay, sin is uh, finiteness. Uh, the famous state that you hear, um, to err is human. Um, in other words, people will say sin's not really anything bad. It's just the nature of life. It's what it means to be finite. Um, and so if we want to talk about terms uh, of erring, even if we want to talk about something uh, call something a mistake, we should not attach any moral quality to it. It's just a mistake. Right. It's, it's nothing more. Right. Yeah. And you still hear that uh, all the time by people. So sin is simply uh, sin is simply what it means not to be God, and so no one can be faulted for that. They're they're not God. They're not perfect. They're just people. Yeah. And leave them alone. So that would be a false definition. Uh, another, or fably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go. Fably. Uh, another one would be sin is sensuousness, um, and or you know that area of sexuality. Uh, and of course, this is where um, the church has allowed unbiblical ideas such as Neoplatonism to control theology. Remember, Neoplatonism teaches that the flesh or the body is that lower or sinful nature, which is bad. But then the soul or the spirit is this higher or spiritual nature, which is good. Um, and so, but if, but as you look at things like, you know, the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, 17 and following, it shows that certainly there are both physical and spiritual aspects to sin. So we reject that idea. So to view sin as something merely committed in the flesh and here something explicitly sexual or, you know, sensuous in nature is to have a very wrong view of what sin is. Um, yeah, it gets into also our prior thing about the uh, the aspects of man and the nature of what flesh is. It's not talking about the body right. actually anyhow, but um, yeah, that's that good old Platonism yeah. showing up. Um, and, the, you know, this is especially seen or true when, as we examine the terms itself themselves, we saw that sin is committed in the heart um, and then works itself out in the flesh. Right. So right. you can't just relegate sin to that physical realm, but then somehow your spirit's protected from sin. Yeah, and that gets into even helping understand how to interpret passages. So when Christ says, if your eye offends you, rip it out. So it's like, is he literally saying that? Um, well, no, not if you understand right. the overall yeah. teaching of what's causing the eye to look at something that ought not to look or the hand yeah. to commit a sin. It's it's actually the heart. Right. And yeah. so again, this is going to inform how you approach all kinds of counseling issues. Yes. What's truly going on within a person. All right. So those are some false ones. Uh, we're going to give you now some uh, others that are popular, but they're incomplete definitions. So one would be this, that sin is the absence of goodness. Um, sin is something far more than merely not doing it um, or something not being present. It's also the very real presence of something else, and, and we'll develop that uh, later on. But, but understand that when you say sin is merely the absence of goodness, you're missing it still. It's, that's true, but it's not complete. Right. Uh, another one you'll hear sometimes is sin is unbelief. Um, now, all sin, of course, or all unbelief, of course, is sin, but not all sin is necessarily unbelief. 
um, you know, for instance, you'll see this in James 2.19, um, where it says that you believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons also believe and they shudder. Um, so there, um, you know, again, all, all unbelief is sin, but not all sin is necessarily unbelief. Yeah, they're in sin, but they actually believe they're believing what is, something. Yeah, right. and that's correct. But he he doesn't it, care. It's incomplete, right? Um, or another one that's fairly common is sin is lawlessness, and they usually will go to First John three four to prove this one. So it says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So they say, see, sin is lawlessness. That's kind of like saying that God is love. Right. Um, it's like, well, yeah, but he's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> many other things. Many too, other yeah. things, too, and, and can't be confined to that. So while this is simp certainly true, it, it's, again, not full or complete. Uh, you cannot argue from this passage that sin is, is lawlessness and nothing else. If that were the case, it would mean that the ignorance of God's law frees a sinner from responsibility. Um, but Romans 5, 13 through 14 makes it clear that the opposite is right. true. Another one is sin is selfishness. Um, now, this is probably the most comprehensive, but it's it's still, we would say, incomplete. Uh, all sin is selfishness, but not all um, sin is necessarily selfish. And there's a di subtle distinction there. Um, the, the presence of sin in a person results from a self-centered focus. Uh, the result is that there there is this inner drive to exalt man in the acts as if we are somehow independent of God. Um, so it's not so much a selfish focus as much as it's this drive of separating you from being attached to God. Yeah. More kind of like self-centeredness or something. Yeah. It's all about me and, but, and independence. But anyhow, let's, let's deal with some working definitions. The first would be Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Um, you want to do Grudem's? Sure. Grudem in his systematic theology says, sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Uh, then Buswell's theology, he says that um, sin may then be, be then defined ultimately as anything in the creature which is not, does not express or which is contrary to the holy character of the creator. And then My old George professor. Zemeck, yeah, you're a... Uh, Affectionately, your Dr. Z. Yeah, Dr. Z. Uh, in his systematic theology, too, uh, any personal lack of conformity to the moral character or desire of God. Now, see, this is interesting because when I went to a Nazarene college, I had to take theology. And that's where I began to learn that theology is complex. And so a Wesleyan Arminian definition of sin, because I always wondered, how do they believe you can lose salvation? And how do they call? How do they believe that you can be what they would call entirely sanctified, which means that you are now living essentially sinless, when it's clear they're doing sin? And they started talking about, well, that wasn't a sin; it was a mistake. And I'm like, I don't. I, you know, I was a it's stupid college student, but I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. Well, their definition uh, was any act that is a willful act against a known law of God. So it has to be done on purpose and it has to be known. Uh -huh. And only then does it qualify as sin. So 
people are making oopsies and mistakes constantly. And you can see how very different our definitions are, but they're not coming out of nowhere. They're coming out of that whole lexical work that we did in the prior two episodes. Okay, so is it yours or my turn? Uh, Take it. Okay, Um, (laughs) so... So the next one would be aspects of sin's expression um, is just what we'll call this category. Um, and so how, how does sin or what are different aspects and ways that sin expresses itself? Well, first and foremost, it's important to understand that sin is a disposition of the heart. This is its, in other words, natural bent. Um, now, this is, that is not to say that this is an attribute of man where, you know, sin is not part that's of- a good, That's a good distinction. Yeah, part, sin is not- part and parcel of what it means to be man, uh, because again, man was not created sinful. We see that pre-Genesis 3, uh, but rather sin now is the current state of all humans, though, due to the fall, which is everything post-Genesis 3. So Genesis 6-5 is going to overtly express this state of, of being of every man. Um, so I'll read it, and then we can kind of work through it. Uh, Genesis 6-5, which I think we'll agree is probably one of the most robust statements on the nature of sin. Yep. Um, It says, Then the Lord God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, that's brutal. And (laughs) so we're going to literally now break that down um, almost every word so that you can see how expansive and full this sucker is. And it's one that every one of you should have underlined in your Bible. It's the one that when you're talking to somebody about sin and they're saying, well, I don't think it's this or that. This is God. What makes this so great is it's it's where God's looking at man. This is what he sees. And this is what he sees, yeah. yeah. He And he's not real impressed. And we have, a re- I mean, such a temptation to minimize the reality of sin, even in the Christian these days. Um, and again, it's going to affect how you approach to dealing with man. But yeah, this is God's view and perspective of now the state of what man is. Yeah, yeah, and it's not good. So yeah. uh, we're going to see that, first of all, uh, we see the wickedness. Uh, that It's the wickedness of man. That It's that, that word ra'ah, literally the evil. Um, that wickedness is not just um, there, but it's great. It's emphasizing um, the idea of its, its expansiveness. So everywhere and in every place of the heart, it's wickedness or, or what they're doing. It's just wickedness. God doesn't look over and say, oh, over here, there's a household that does good or here. It's just, he says, everywhere is just nothing but wickedness. Right. So it's not just hints of evil right? or nuances, or maybe it comes out every once in a while. Right. It's great. It's pervasive. Right. Everywhere you look, there it is. Um, then he says, every intent. So where is this wickedness? It's great. And every, so again, the small words are the important words, but every intent of the thoughts of his heart. And um, you talked about an observation you've made on this is how do you separate a thought from the intent of the thought? Where does that begin? And you can't because the moment you think about an intent, it becomes not an intent, but a thought. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the bone in the marrow or right. I mean, yeah. the spirit. And so you can't even separate these things, yeah. but so, so that's that very soup 
from which every thought you do flows from. So picture it as the source of the fountainhead of everything man is thinking. And he doesn't say most of those intents. Yeah. Not just thoughts, just the intent to right. think. That every stinking intent <laughs> before it becomes a thought is already right. So this uh, is again when you're when you're talking to a person and or you're evangelizing, you're witnessing um, to a person, and they start talking in terms of, well, I'm not that evil. I don't do that. All they're doing is comparing themselves to someone worse than them. But what they don't understand is the state, the literal state of their heart before a holy, righteous God. So we were in Ethiopia, and we saw. I mean, we drink only bottled water, sealed bottled ambo. water. Yeah, Ambo. Oh, wonderful sparkling water. Um, but anyhow, we, that's all we're drinking. We're not just pouring the tap. Right. Uh, right? Uh, we keep our my, mouths and eyes closed tightly during our shower. We don't rinse our toothbrush under the water. And, and that's because we're Americans and our stomach can't handle it. Um, when you see an African, they'll drink from that. Uh, faucet, no problem, and that's because they carry the bacteria that can deal with it. But I watch people for drinking out of Lake Hawassa, where which we were right near of, and I'm looking at that water, and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Now we're looking at all of that, and we are comparing water with water with water, and and it's kind of like you saying, well, I'm not that evil. Um, because you're comparing yourself to somebody else. But the reality is, is that we're all drinking water and let, I'm, it, I'm stretching the metaphor here, but let's just say water in and of itself is intrinsically sinful or evil. Um, it doesn't matter if it's clean water or it's water from Lake Hawassa that has parasites in it that can kill us. Um, it doesn't matter. It's just water. It's, it's, it's evil. It always is. And so we're trying to say, well, yeah, but my water is more clear than their water, but it's still water. So it doesn't matter. In the same way, we're sinners and we're saying, yeah, but my sin is not as bad as Joe's. It doesn't matter. It's still sin. It's what we are. It is what yeah. is flowing. And that's why the fountainhead of even our thinking is poisoned. Yeah. And he, he says here, he says, every intent of the thought of his heart. And again, this shows now the location of the soup right. from which that evil flows. It's it's in his heart, the, the Hebrew term lave um, and the Hebrews as you know, they, when you use the word heart, we use it in terms of like emotions, you know, like, um, you know, I love you with my heart or whatever. But they understood it as the control factory of a person, everything that from their, their mind, their desires, their right. thoughts, their intents. Well, God looks at that and he says, it's wicked, it's great. And then as we're going to go on to show, only evil continually, always. Yeah. And so just in case... <laughs> You haven't become discouraged. He wants to really brutalize you. He says only. So it's every, what is it? Every uh, thought, intent of the thoughts of his hearts is only. So now we'll just look at that word. It, it's exclusively yeah, nothing but evil. Uh, we must dispense, in other words, with this idea that humanity is mostly good or that there are good people in the world. Uh, if we say there is good, then who defines this good? Because it can't be God, because in Genesis 6-5, God's statement of the condition of man and his judgment is that it is of all-inclusive evil. It is only evil, and every intent is evil, 
and and it's great. Yes, and <laughs> it's pervasive. great. And then he just throws on that final word of continually, which just shows the continuous nature of how the human heart is in this state of pumping forth its evil at all times. There's no time in which it is not in the state of doing this, in other words. Um, so, so God defines the state of man's heart in very bleak categories here. He looks, he has looked, and this is what he has found. Um, so sin is, is not a mere action, and that's what's so important to understand. Rather, it is, in the first instance, a disposition of the heart. Right. And again, it's going to be so helpful if, if you can force yourself to begin to think biblically and align your understanding with God's understanding the better place you'll be because you can you can look at people and say, I just don't, you are painting bleak categories and it's just not that bad. Come on. Um, we would say, well, how about you or us submit our mind and perspective to what God has said versus standing in judgment of what God has said. And right. so it is important to have a, however bad you think we are, we're just worse. Yes. That's a good way to say it. Um then we go into sin is a thought. Uh, this speaks to the impulses or the intentions. Um, so Jesus shows how sin is not merely an action, but it's thought or intention of the heart. And that's because what flows from the heart will always at some point given time and the freedom and lack of fear, maybe you're not going to get arrested for doing it. Like we're seeing that now with homosexuality. It used to be illegal and therefore it was hidden, but it was still there. Yeah. Um, but now that it's freed from the uh, restrictions of law, it's just becoming more pervasive. It's not doing anything other than that. It's just now free to act. But it's, it all started within the heart, um, and it's, so it's a thought. So Matthew 5 says in 27, 28, that you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here he's saying, look, long before it ever becomes an actual action, it's already sin because it's flowing out of the intent of the heart, which is only evil continually. Yeah. So it's what it's what naturally arises. Um, then next, sin is an act um, it, 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 of commission. So something that you commit. Um, now, the act of sin is simply the fruit of the thoughts of the heart. Uh, is how it's working itself out. It's, it's taking what already is sin and just compounding it. So whether one is, and then whether one is a redeemed person or not, what you should also understand about these acts of commissions is that these sinful actions can be resisted. Yeah. Um, in fact, this is the key purpose behind government rule or parental authority. Um, it's also why, again, so many people don't view themselves as sinners. Um, they're merely looking at those external acts, those things they do or maybe don't do. Um, but again, actions are the fruit of the state of the heart. So if, if sin, and especially, you know, grievous types of sin can be resisted in some capacity, then it's, it's harder for people to see and then therefore understand themselves to be what they truly are, which is a sinner. And this relates itself a lot to parenting because, um, you know, you start to make excuses for your little one. They're just tired, you know, they're they're a good kid. It's like, you don't have to raise them up that they're evil, vile little creatures and that you never praise them for doing what's right because they're commanded to do what's right. But at the same time, never fool yourself into thinking that you're not dealing with a sinner. 
<laughs> you know, right. never once forget that that's what you've got is a sinner who's in desperate need of the gospel and Jesus Christ. And, and so, even when you praise them, there's still that awareness of what you're dealing with. But never be shocked at what your child can do. When, when I hear parents say, oh, he'd never do that, I'm like, you're doomed. You're doomed. Um, I've seen too many parents have their hearts broken as they discover their child not only will do it, but will revel in it, and we can say whatever it is. So, yeah. um, so sin is a commission, but it's also an omission. Uh, it is often thought that as long as we do not commit a sin that we're doing well, but that's only half of the equation, obviously. All throughout the Bible, we're also commanded to do many things. Uh, and ignorance never is a, self, uh, a safe haven either. Even in the detailed system of sin and sacrifice in the Old Testament, there were these offerings that we had to do out of ignorance. And it didn't matter if you say, I didn't know. Once you found out, you, you, you realize, I've been sinning. Right. It's not, oh, I made mistakes. I'll stop doing that now. Yeah. It's, no, you have to actually make amends. You have to bring in a sacrifice yeah. because you found out that unbeknownst to you this whole time, yeah. God is angry with you. <laughs> so so they had to offer sacrifices Yes. Uh, for those things they didn't even know that they were doing. Right, <laughs> right. So answer this question then. Who does sin offend? Well, first and foremost, the person of God himself. Yeah, obviously. Uh, Genesis 3, 1 Samuel 12, Luke 15. Perhaps, though, the clearest of that is Psalm 51 and verse 4. Uh, David, in that, that famous psalm, says against you, and you only have I sinned and done evil what is in your sight, Why, or so that you are then justified when you speak and then blameless when you judge. Now, obviously, David sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. Uh, the baby is now dead on his account and because of him. Um, and yet in an ultimate sense here, as we see in the inspired Psalm, David records that sin is first and foremost against God himself. Um, this idea of against you and you only um, shows that there is no true victim. And that's what it's saying. God is the only one in an ultimate sense who has the right to be offended. Right. Um, he is the only one who is pure and blameless and therefore uh, fully righteous. And so, God is always the first one who has sinned against. And if you can wrap your head around that and let what Matt just said there uh, work itself through your thought process for a day, it'll um, humble you uh, because all of us have been sinned against. Um, and yet as sinners, that's nothing compared to what awaits us when our holy and righteous judge judges us guilty if we do not have Christ. Mm -hmm. um, there is no true victim. Um the only victim, if you want, would be God himself, and he willingly became our victim and also our sacrifice. So uh, so after that, though, there are other people involved. Uh, man, in general, becomes uh, affected and offended by sin. So in Genesis 42, 22, or 1 Samuel 19, 4, um, now, this is obvious, and none of us really need to think too much about because we're really quick at pointing it out when we've been sinned against. Right. Um, uh, we're also commanded to forgive and to seek forgiveness. Uh, it implies that we are able to sin against our um, fellow man. So, even though we're saying that's ultimately and primarily against God, there is that other aspect where we do sin against each other, um, not as victims in, in the fullest sense, but nonetheless— you can be an innocent party and have been sinned against. Right, right. And then finally, you can also sin against the self. 
Proverbs 8, 36, Habakkuk 2, 10. Um, ultimately on this one, you are God's creation, and so you belong to Him. And so when you defile yourself, um, what you're doing, whether you think about it this way or not, is what you're defiling is a creation of God. And we don't have the right to sin against ourselves, or in this case, God's creation. Uh, ultimately, we belong to Him. And so an offense against something of God's creation, in this case, self, is then therefore going to be an offense against God. Sure. So so that's probably sufficient uh, right now. Just think about that. We've only begun to develop the doctrine, uh, but next time we're going to get into some more interesting things, at least we we, we think they'll be more interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about the fall of man, the talk doctrine of what's known as total depravity, the doctrine of what's known as original sin, and some other things. So that's what's to come. Again, it's a major topic and one that's so important to understand well. So next time we'll see why. It affects so many things and informs how we interpret, again, so much of our life in this world. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation, let us know what you think about sin. And also, don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review, connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and Twitter. And please do tell others. Mm -hmm.